Welcome to Bell Curve with Mary Scott, Rachel, and Liz, three friends, three Southern Bells, joining you, smart women, to discuss life, work, relationships, business, everything from the nerdy to the normal, the practical to the philosophical, the head to the heart. Thanks for joining us as we observe, analyze, and often deviate from the standard. Hi, everyone. This is Rachel Blackman Briars, joined by my fabulous co-hosts, Mary Scott Hunter and Liz Bashirs. And today we are talking again about the Me Too movement. This is our second episode on this pretty challenging topic. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Perhaps pause this episode if you like and go listen to our last episode when we talked about the Pence rule and closed door meetings at work. We really hope that's helpful. Today, we're picking up where we left off, going deeper into the Me Too movement, men and women at work, sexual tension, sexual harassment, and let me say that the three of us are going to take another stab at authenticity and vulnerability, which sounds really great on paper, but we're learning is kind of hard to put into practice, especially if you tend to be a private person, which I know I am. Um, But we are all fans of Brene Brown, the researcher and author whose TED Talk about vulnerability is one of the most viewed TED Talks, it's definitely worth watching if you haven't already, who wrote a number of books. Uh, My favorite is her book, Daring Greatly. And I mention her work because when we first decided to start a podcast, we knew it really wasn't gonna do any good or be any good or help anyone if we weren't authentic and honest, even when it became deeply uncomfortable and ran counter to our instinct to protect ourselves. So I'd like to set the tone for today by reading a quick blurb from the back of Brene's book, Daring Greatly, because maybe it will help explain why we get so personal in today's episode. It says, quote, in a world where never enough dominates and feeling afraid has become second nature, vulnerability is subversive, uncomfortable, even a little dangerous sometimes. Without question, putting ourselves out there invites a far greater risk of being criticized or feeling hurt. But when we shut ourselves off from vulnerability, we distance ourselves from the experiences that bring purpose and meaning to our lives. And nothing is as dangerous, uncomfortable, or hurtful as standing on the outside, looking in, and wondering what it would be like if we had the courage to step into the arena. I'd share a quick story. A few years ago, I went to see a friend perform with a modern dance company, and the director, her name is Barbara Kaoli, and she now directs Butter Dance Company in Huntsville. She said something I'll never forget because it deeply inspired me. And I think she was encouraging her dancers to step into the arena. After the show, which was just so beautiful, it actually made me cry. She said she asks her dancers before they perform, will you bleed in your performance tonight? For the sake of the audience, for the sake of art, will you hold nothing back? Will you bleed? And I just loved that. And so a little warning We may bleed a little for you today, or at least try, and I suspect we might find ourselves limping a little after, so we appreciate your grace. And now Mary Scott and Liz will help us pick up where we left off last episode. So today I really want to continue on the conversation that we started last week when we were talking about interaction between the opposite sexes in the workplace. And we, we started talking about ways to avoid it, but I really want to go in deeper and get some some concrete strategies for how to avoid awkward interactions in the workplace when you when you kind of feel a little bit off. 
you know, whether, you know, and I really, I break it down into three different areas. There's the, the worst case, which is, is harassment and assault, which you know, are things that do happen. And, and um, you know, there are steps you can take and have to take in those situations. And then one level below that is things that are cringy, play, you know, positions you've been in, um, situations you've been in that just made you feel uncomfortable and just, you know, cringy, cringy. And then the third one is uh, situations and things that can be misconstrued or misunderstood. So all three of us are, are professional women, women who work you know, in fields that in some cases are largely dominated by men. And you know, that open, it, it requires us to open ourselves into these situations where we might be going on business trips with just men. We might be you know, having one-on-one conversations um, that have to be behind closed doors like we talked about last week. So what are some concrete ways that, that we as women can you know, make sure that we're not in any of these kind of situations? I don't know that you can avoid these situations completely. You just can't because, right. because you, you, there, I mean, certainly there are things that you can do, but you know, the world is the world. Last week we talked, you know, what got us started on this is the Pence rule. And mm-hmm. we talked about that. We talked about how, you know, Pen, the Pences are evangelical Christians and the Pence rule is interpreted as no closed door meetings with women, period, dot. Well, that in fact isn't the Pence rule. The Pence rule is he would he does not go or he did not go to dinners at night without his spouse where alcohol is served. That was his right. rule, which doesn't sound like a bad rule. But when you take that to the next level, there are there are men that go to the next level with it and it, and, and they you know, they won't close the door at all. They won't, you're out, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're on a business trip and they won't go to dinner with you. You know, that, that's, that is going to stymie a woman's career. And so you can't, I guess, to go back to your original question, Liz, how do you, I don't know that you can avoid them because if you're going to avoid, you know, every situation where it might be sensitive or awk, as you say, awkward, you know, that awk, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, look, the, the quid pro quo sexual harassment assault situation is totally different. That's not what I'm talking about here, right. but right. you can't, if you're going to, if you're going to get ahead in your career, you, you have, you have to get in, you have to be prepared for sensitive and awkward situations. It's just, it's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. So let's start at the top with, with the harassment or assault. I, you know, I think we all, know what that looks like you know, that could be you know, and, let, and let me add one in there you know a a superior that asks for sexual favor in exchange for career advancement i mean right yeah happens. i would i would uh, i would file that under harassment yeah that can be like you said either quid pro quo um you, you're not gonna get this opportunity unless you let me do x or groping or just uh you know comments that absolutely cross the line or situations that absolutely cross the line. Um, so what do you do in those situations in a corporate environment? I think the first thing that we should all you know, have to be willing to do is to take record of it, whether that is, you know, you're hitting the record button on your phone when you're around that person um, and then keeping that or going straight to HR when the, when the line is crossed. It's, it does happen, and I'm a lawyer, so I I'm bringing my putting my lawyer hat on in this situation. Please, and, and that's uh, it's so important for us to get your perspective on this because of that. You know, you are the one of the three of us who works in a corporate environment right now, number one, mm-hmm. and then you also are a lawyer. 
and that's really leaning on you for, for well, some answers. <laughs> well, it, it's it's not easy, but this particular situation that you're naming, this isn't the awkward situation. This isn't the sensitive situation. This isn't the situation where you might have misconstrued something. This is the no kidding situation where somebody has asked you to, you know, you know, suck their something, you know, really horrible, or has pre- has done Whoa. something. Wow! <laughs> Did I you mean, just say that out loud? <laughs> I well, I mean, or put their hands on you, and y'all, it is not yeah. funny. I mean, these mm. things really yeah, do happen, yeah. and you know, that's part of what Me Too is trying to address. Me Too is also, I think, dipping into you know areas where I think that it's um, more ambiguous. But we're talking about the non-ambiguous situation here. The non, right. the not, the totally non-ambiguous, or take off your clothes. I want to see. I mean, those are not ambiguous. They're wrong. It's wrong. And when that happens, it is really scary. And you can, and let me tell you how easily it can happen. It just, in the twinkle of an eye, in, the, in that fast, you can find yourself in a situation like that. And mm-hmm. if you do, you, you absolutely have to extricate yourself as quickly as you can. And you have to tell somebody. As, as difficult as that is and as hard as that is, it, it, it is much easier to deal with it. And, and I know it's easy to say now. And for, for people that have been in that situation and didn't handle it as well as they would have liked, know that that's also perfectly normal because you're shocked. Um, but as best you can get yourself out and it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be, it's not going to be graceful. Get yourself out of that situation, extricate yourself as quickly as you can and, and go and tell somebody whose job it is to listen to you. Why do y'all think that it is hard for, for women to, to handle these? I mean, I, I, I think I've, I've been in a couple situations that I reflect on and I think, um, I mean, not just within this arena, but just in life, you know, where I I look back and I think if I had had time to think how I would react, it would be such a different reaction. I would have handled that differently or I would have confronted Mm -hmm. this person so strongly. You know, you can really judge yourself. You can really get mad at yourself. And then that moment's passed and you don't ever you can't go back and and redo it. So what are y'all's thoughts on just why women maybe in particular react the way they do? And then if you didn't handle it as well as you could have how do you encourage yourself and and move forward from that? Well, I I think in in a non-workplace situation, there are so many times where you might feel like you're at a physical disadvantage. And so you maybe freeze out of just kind of a, a instinct of, Oh no, if, if I make the wrong move, my physically could be in peril here. And then at, in a workplace situation, I think for such a long time, you know, the, the big bosses have, have been the guys, and so if you say, you know, if you, you feel like if you react the wrong way, maybe your job could be at peril. And I think that's changed a lot, a lot, a lot in the last decade. But that's why it's so scary. That's why it's so scary, because there is in so many cases, and especially historically, been so much physical and you know, emotional and, and, and financial power over over women. And this isn't man bashing or man hating or anything like that. It's just the the reality of the of the of the business world is that in America it's very much controlled uh, and dominated by men still. Although of course there are examples of that not being so. So um, it isn't Hollywood and it is real life. And I was thinking about this one scene with Tia Leone and Madam Secretary and this this third world nation leader 
grabbed her backside, you know, in a, in a closed door meeting. And she turned around and there wasn't one inch of space between when that happened. And she walloped him with her folder, her file and broke his nose. And there was this whole, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there was this whole, like, I don't know, show built around this event. And um, I think the reason we don't handle it like that and that well, uh, and she handled it like we all, like we would like want to look back and do because life isn't perfect. And sometimes mm-hmm. these things can, they're not as stark as somebody telling you take off your clothes or, you know, come into my hotel room or, you know, come have a drink with me and they put their hands on you or, you know, sometimes it's not that clear. And so that's the reason I think that's a big reason why we do sometimes because it's not clear, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Because to me, they're they're different situations. If somebody said, "Let's go back to the hotel room," I can almost like, you know, not laugh it off, but be like, "Ah, no, that's not going to happen. Good night." But you know, if somebody's got their hands on you, that's a completely different issue to me. So I, I guess one answer to this is defending yourself. Um, I took some self defense classes in college, and then I've I've taken Krav Maga as an adult too. And I tell you what, that makes me feel a lot better a lot better um because i I, you know i know i can't defend myself against everybody but if i'm taking some drunk a-hole by surprise i can (laughs) get him off balance (laughs) you know sometimes i think i have a lot of pin-up aggression because i have to tell y'all oh oh, i do yeah no i really so when i we were living in dc and i was um pregnant going to graduate school I remember in the graduate school was in downtown DC. Johns Hopkins has a little satellite campus in, in DC. And so I would go down at night, my classes were at night, and I would park wherever the parking was. So alleys, you know, and here I am, just this pregnant woman, you know, waddling down the sidewalk. But I would have my mace with me. And you know what's really odd? And I, I don't even know if I want to admit this because it's not making light of real assault situations whatsoever but I used to have this like thought of I almost want someone to jump out of the corner so I can just go nuts on them and spray their face with mace and like elbow them and <laughs> like that's what I'm talking about with this like strange pin up aggression I would like I would like find myself day I'd be walking waddling and daydreaming and I'm like are you gonna bring it because you know what I'm about to surprise you with a big old punch in the face and you're gonna be so sorry and then I'd get to school and be like I just spent like five minutes like thinking about beating someone up <laughs> <laughs> Good I job, think that's Rachel. A I think that's a self-preservation instinct. Yeah, maybe so. Guys um, do that all the time. I, I hear uh, so many of my guys' friends talks. Uh, guy friends talk about how you know you you meet somebody and you size them up. You're like, could I take that guy? Oh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that to me that what I want to what I'm really interested in hearing from y'all about is the sensitive and the awkward, mm-hmm. because yeah. I do think that. Those situations where it's really stark, they've put their hands on you, they've made a, a you know, a, an overture, they've, or they've attacked you. I mean, those situations are really stark, or the, it's been a binge drinking situation, or, you know, what some, but, but I think one of the things our listeners might maybe more commonly struggle with are mm-hmm. sensitive and awkward situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this, this is the thing that probably happens the most often that has gone largely ignored for a really long time you know it, I've, it probably again it's like my personality but sometimes I feel so sorry for people when they put their foot in the mouth their mouth like I, I, I went into a I was in a work environment at some point that I, I don't want to be too specific I don't want to hurt this person out there but you know someone was like 
they were trying to give me a compliment, but what they ended up saying, what came out of their mouth, and I think it surprised them as much as it surprised me, they were like, every time you come in here, I get so hot and bothered. (laughs) And I was like, I know I'm laughing, like, like, that's not something to really laugh about. But he was so surprised at what he had said and so embarrassed and so worried that he was going to go get in trouble. I just ended up feeling sorry for him. And I was like, you know, what? I I just I'm just I'm going to worry about that, you know, so I don't know if that's the right Mm -hmm. response. But I do think sometimes thinking about the person how they feel about what they just said. Did they think it through mm-hmm. and then they said it kind of creepily? Or are they somebody who they they almost, whatever comes to their mind, it kind of comes out of their mouth and, and they wish they could reel it back and they feel terrible. I'm not yeah. excusing, but I do just kind of feel like there is that you can kind of tell someone's heart. And this person yeah. I think was a really good person. And they, I don't think they were trying to be a creep. And, and, and then, but the, look at what came out of their mouth. And I'm sure I could have gotten them in trouble. And I'm really glad I didn't. You know what I mean? I don't know. What do you, what do y'all think? I, I agree with you on that. And, and I'm somebody who at this time in my career, I work with a lot of um, military and former military folks. And, you know, sometimes they think things are funny that I don't think are particularly funny, but you know, I'm the, I'm also off, often the outsider in these situations. I'm often the only person in the room who hasn't been in the military. So same thing, just kind of taking it in, in the context of the group you're in, but still, do I have a responsibility to speak up and say that made me uncomfortable? So I'm about to say something that I'm sure we will get comments from our listeners on. (laughs) And I am just going to be honest here. You do have to let some things go. And now I'm not saying you don't, you know, say, hey, knock it off, you know, or but you you Mm -hmm. just if you make an issue out of every little thing, it's you, you, you just it's not going to get you anywhere. You know, that doesn't that doesn't serve. So you do have to be smart about what you take on. You know, what's really an issue? You know, mm-hmm. if if some guy is who has no power over you is approaching you in the office space, it's on you to say, knock it off. Knock it off. You're going to get yourself in trouble here. Hmm. You know, and if they don't, of course, you got to, you know, I guess deal with it. But but you can't, if you're going to be dealing with every little thing, you know, that comes up that's sensitive and awkward, I guess... I've been successful in my career, um, and I think I know uh, the difference. I think you just have to know the difference between those situations that are, you know, they're not innocent because it's not innocent, but it's, you know what I mean? It's not a thing that you need to go take to the next level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just need to address it. Well, I think what you're getting at, Mary Scott, is is looking at this as a human being and not just as a, because, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, I, I could think back that, I've probably said things that made people uncomfortable, not necessarily in a sexual way, but just, you know, you never know what's going on in someone's heart and mind. And I do think if everybody gave each other a little more grace and space, it'd be a a happier world. And yet, like you just said, Mary Scott, this is what's so hard about being human, because if we all just said, Mm. okay, let's give everybody grace, then things get out of hand. And then you have what we have with the Me Too movement, where there's just all this suppressed anger and resentment, because women have been going through really hard things. Well, and gets wound up in your, in your, in your income and your career. Uh, And that's, 
you know, especially I, I think for these Hollywood stars and starlets and, you know, these ones that have had to deal with some really awful situations. Um, and, and there's other industries too, the music industry, the, it seems to be like this real, I mean, Me Too is very tied up in quid pro quo, which is really clear. But when Me right. Too is, gets kind of into the awkward territory, the sensitive territory, the territory where I think you have to be really careful because you can, you, you can just mess yourself up unnecessarily. You have to know what you're in and try to make that call as yeah. quickly as possible in the moment or as quickly after it happens as possible and figure out how you're going to deal with it right then. And I hope that like we have each other, I have Rachel and I have Liz. I hope that our listeners out there, wherever you are, whoever you are listening, I hope you have some really good friends that you can go to mm-hmm. and talk to because it makes all the difference to be able to unload your situation on a yeah, friend absolutely. and get them to help you help them because you cannot think clearly when you're in the middle of all this. And can I add to yeah. that as far as, and I think again, we're a community where we're really trying to be authentic and vulnerable. And so we're sharing our hearts and maybe just bleeding our hearts forth. So, you know, what, <laughs> what I, I guess the question I would like to put forth is th- something that I think women don't necessarily admit and don't don't really want to speak about but I think it's a gripe from men as they're kind of processing the me too is that sometimes it seems like we as women when we're talking about these things we come across as androgynous or asexual that we are you know all we're floating around with a halo over our heads incapable of feeling attraction incapable of being flattered by comments incapable of being human feeling things so I guess I Mm -hmm. want to prompt prompt the discussion or ask the question, what about not just these situations where it's awkward or you're feeling like, oh, this is totally unwanted, but you're in a work situation and you you yourself aren't really sure how to navigate it because maybe you you feel attracted to somebody or you, you know, somebody made a comment and it made you feel really good because you're getting older and you've had five children. <laughs> And you don't you don't look like you don't look like you once did and dang it, someone made you feel really pretty and you know, there you go. I'm just being I'm being honest. I think that's part of this yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And and this this might not be the answer to your question, Rachel, but this is something that is so I and I've I've written about this before and I've caught flack for it before, but I feel very, very strongly that as women, we are we owe it to each other to behave correctly in the workplace Hmm. because every time a woman has an affair with her married boss it strengthens the assumptions that people have about men and women working together Mm -hmm. every time something untoward happens you know where where oh oh, i I guess an affair is the easiest way to put it you know so there is an inappropriate relationship it makes it harder for every other woman to get ahead without us, you know, things being whispered behind her back. Hmm. And that's something I feel really strongly about. And it's, I mean, every, every time, every well, time. We somebody... are, well, Governor Bentley had an affair and <laughs> I mean, we all kind of live through his affair. And one of the things that, you know, putting him aside, he, he, it is not the first time and it will not be the last that an old right. man was, that's the long con. That's the longest, oldest con there is. <laughs> and a young woman goes after an old man's power and money. And when she said that 
she was being targeted because she's a woman. It, it made me so angry because I have never had an affair with my boss. I've never had an affair. You don't get to have an affair with your boss and then claim that you're being targeted because you're a woman uh, and that you're being singled out uh, and, and attacked maybe because you're a woman. No, you're a homewrecker. Hmm. You're a- and, and yes, to the, it, with that's, that's actually the situation I wrote about. And yeah, <laughs> so that's exactly the thing I was talking about because, you know, anytime, especially when it's in a high profile situation like that, it makes it harder for women to be able to have those closed door conversations, to be able to have those, um, you know, the, the amount of, of trust and authenticity, it sometimes takes a, a high power, high tension situation. Well, and again, like that's yeah. a pretty, I mean, to have an affair, like to me, that's a pretty intense, wow, that's a big one. But, you know, to draw back that line a little bit to just the awkward interactions and the, you're having to deal with some sexual tension in the, in the office or something like that. You know, what, what about that where it's not? I think that to just kind of lay things out there, it happens. I mean, you're, we're, we're not asexual. We're not, we're not robots. I mean, you, you can, you can look at a man, I mean, a, somebody, a client, a boss, a, you know, think, whoa, you know, that's a, that's a good looking man. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I mean, it happens to the best of us too. Yeah, <laughs> but, there, but I, and I think that you have to be honest about that. That does happen, but we're not animals. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you have to control that. You have to, say, okay, you know, I'm going to stop at one glass of wine here because um, it's time for me to go off to my, you just have to make decisions at that point that, that acknowledge your, you know, your feelings. And, Mm -hmm. and then familiarity is a great thing. You know, let's say that person is new to your office space or new in your C-suite or new client, you know, give it a couple of weeks and it'll probably go away. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. That's, you know, it just, that's, that's, it's just amazing how that happens. But I almost, you know, the reason I wanted to bring that up almost is just, to, I, I love the idea of putting ourselves in other people's shoes. And I, and so I do mm-hmm. think maybe women deal with this less than men do. Men are just wired differently. But I think thinking about your own, your own foibles and your own flaws helps us show grace to men in the awkward space. You know, so I think that's just a good exercise to think, well, when was the last time that I, you know, felt that way? Okay, so can I can I get over and just kind of ignore the little bit of awkward? You know what I mean? I do. Although I'm, I don't know, I'm still having trouble with this conversation because I don't know. I just, I want to take the woman's side on this one. I just. (laughs) It's the hardest conversation we've had to date. It is. It It absolutely is. To to your point, Rachel, I, I, you really want to just be able to step back and say, okay, this is a person, you know, and awkward things happen, weird things happen. I'm just going to ignore it. But then the the other part, like the, the firebrand part of me is just like, no, <laughs> line in the sand. <laughs> if you cross that line, you're going to hear about it. And wow. that, and for me, that line, that line tends to be pretty far back. I think it helps to, to normalize. It helps in the normalization of your relationships with your your male coworkers, your male bosses. Um, 
uh, even even the males that may be within your span of control if you have supervisory uh, duties with your job. Because last last podcast when we talked more about the Pence rule and kind of what bring, brought this on, we we talked about one of the strategies is normalizing. You got to normalize your relationships with with men. Well, really with anybody, but normalize them with men in the workplace. And if you're a lawyer, in my case, that means you know that first meeting that you have with them that requires a closed door, you close the door. There might be a little bit of an awkward moment, but then that becomes normal behavior. You know, if your normal mm-hmm. behavior when you're out on, when you're going on travel and is to go out to dinner at night, you know, you, you don't need to, it's at, you got to normalize that and you got to establish some boundaries, um, boundaries there. I just, I think part of the answer is just making your, making whatever habits that you should have, uh, whether they're professional etiquette or, you know, habits that are normal for your work environment, normalizing them. Rachel, I feel like you're still not happy with. Oh no! With our conclusion. <laughs> no, it's it. it <laughs> I'm never happy when there's not a good answer to give. But on the other hand, there's yeah. there's joy in the journey of just talking it out, and 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 it's okay to say mm-hmm. this is a hard issue with not really a clear answer. But gosh, it does feel good to talk about it. And I think that you know you mentioned friends, Mary Scott. Um, I think it's also important to be very very open with your spouse. Just that openness and that ability. I think sometimes we just don't, we don't want to tell other people the things that we feel bad about. And I I think that we have to open ourselves up and and be vulnerable and, you know, trust that, um, trust that our spouses are there for, and I know not everybody has that situation, but I think if you don't have that situation, maybe take a, a tiny step toward total vulnerability. Maybe share just a tiny something that you don't think that would go over well or that you you just think, oh, they're just going to hate that. Take a little risk in that way and then just see what happens and, and maybe invite them to do the same. Invite them to open up to you in a way that it might be, be scary for them. You bring a great point. Um, you bring up a great point of accountability and having a, I love this term, accountability buddy. Oh, <laughs> love it. Um, of you know with with your spouse of of being accountable to your spouse and holding each other accountable but then also as women us holding each other accountable and then dudes too i mean dudes really aren't our, our demographic but i am never more proud of my husband than when he tells one of his friends dude that that's not okay mm-hmm. <laughs> you know of just holding each other accountable in love and with grace but but being accountability buddies for each other it has been an interesting and ambivalent topic. It's not an easy thing to come to bright line rules on, but I am 46 years old. I have worked in largely male dominated environments, first as a uniform service member, a JAG, a, a lawyer, a, a lawyer in, a, in, a, in an all male law firm. Now I work in the in an engineering in-house at an engineering company. And I think I'm positioned to give some, you know, to give some good advice here. And the one thing, and you're going to hear this from me over and over is in our podcast, but I am very intent on women being successful in their careers. The most money that you will ever make is not in any one bonus or any one year of salary uh, or any one, you know, job. It is in the your total lifetime. Now, unless you win the lottery or you, you know, patent something or you kind of have a big breakthrough, but you will, you, you need to pay attention to what you make. And that's a lot of, that's kind of what I'm getting to here. You need to don't mess yourself up. Don't mess up your career. At the same time, you don't have to take it. Find a way through this, find a way through this that you can live with. 
and 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 that doesn't compromise your morals and values and doesn't ruin your head uh, and and your you know, in your future and tend your career at the same time. You don't have to sacrifice one damn thing. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to sacrifice your peace of mind. You don't have to sacrifice your marriage and you do not have to sacrifice your career. And I can't tell you exactly what the answer is, but there is an answer that satisfies all those. And for our male listeners that, that might be listening, I've had a week to think about it and I am not down with the Pence rule. I'm just not down with it. Uh, it's not, it's not cool to women. It's, it hurts women. Um, now again, if, if you actually, if you're going by the actual Pence rule or the rule as it is interpreted, I'm saying I'm not down with the Pence rule as it's interpreted broadly by the media. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly there's situations where men should be cautious. I'm not saying that, you know, there's, but I think a a general rule perhaps of being careful is not a bad thing, but if you're going to make a no exceptions policy of never being alone with any women within your span of control, if you're a leader in business, that's wrong because you're going to hurt women. Ladies, after having some time to think about it, what do you think about the Pence rule? Well, you know, I'll just add to that. We actually prayed before this episode because we, we never want to be clanging symbols or, you know, not add, like Mary Scott said, value to this conversation. So I'll give my attempts. But again, I don't have all, all the answers. This is just what um, what came to my mind and my heart as I was trying to parse through um, this rule. So, so to answer this question, you know, I really tried to put myself in a powerful man's shoes and imagine all the pitfalls that could bring me down, all the temptations, all the history of leaders and pastors and politicians and good people who have made epic m- mistakes that cost them everything. Maybe it's because, you know, they trusted themselves and their motives so they didn't have their guard up. That could be it. Um, I've also thought of just the bizarre stories that have come out where people, not just women, not just about Me Too, have, have made stories completely up about being attacked or, or what have you. And I think because most of us can't fathom making up lies that would destroy someone, we automatically believe it when, when someone says, that someone did something terrible to them. Um, and then sometimes sometimes an innocent person and their reputation is destroyed. So with those two risks for a man in mind, and really as a wife and a mother of two boys, I, I very sadly, I guess, or I guess I'm sadly, say that I understand the pence roll. And if someone I worked with put it into place, I'd respect it. And I'd try to support it as best as I could. Um, The same way I, you know, I put up with extra people in private doctor's appointments because obviously the doctor has a role that he doesn't see patients alone. You know, I put up with that because I feel like that's something that that doctor, maybe there's even roles out there now, has to do. So it's also I would would want someone to treat me that way as, as a woman if I just felt like for my safety I needed to have some certain roles in place. I would expect men to respect that. I wouldn't be okay with them saying, well, that doesn't work for me professionally. So I heavily, heavily caveat that acceptance of the Pence rule with this. I far prefer an atmosphere of total trust, respect, dignity, and professionalism. I far prefer to be around men who don't have those roles. I thank God for the male mentors and coworkers and bosses through the years who met, me, met with me one-on-one. You know, and I'm sad to think of any woman being set aside or looked over for a job because she's a woman or an attractive woman. Um, I think the risk with having a pence type role is that people can feel suspected. Women can feel mm-hmm. that they are inherently dirty creatures. 
oh no, you know, don't be alone with a woman. She might bring you down. It can lead women to feel ashamed of their femininity. It can lead to inefficiencies and just an uncomfortable work environment. And I think it does lead to lost opportunity for women. There's my two, there's my two cents, ladies. Well, Rachel, I appreciate your thoughts on it. And it, it is so, so difficult. And as somebody who has encountered, you know, so here's my story that's somewhat like the the Pence rule. I was working in an organization that was, you know, very uh traditionalist and conservative and uh, to celebrate a accomplishment that I had made with a team of other people. But my, um, my supervisor who is a man or who was a man um, took me out to lunch to celebrate a large accomplishment we had just made. And when we got back, the vice president of the organization took us aside and said, you, the two of you can't go out to lunch by yourselves. You're a man and a woman, even though both of us were happily married, um, to other people, uh, he said that it was, it looked like impropriety even, and that really pissed me off, frankly, frankly. Now I understand like what you are saying of sometimes you need to have rules in place, but at some point it crosses, it can too easily cross the line from, you know, he wouldn't have gotten that reprimand if he had taken a a male subordinate out to lunch. Mm-hmm. And it does too easily, I think, get in the way of opportunities for advance for women. That being said, I think there might be a generational issue there between somebody who who got started in the maybe like what I would like to call the madman era <laughs> where there there wasn't the opportunity for for women to have an, any kind of equal footing in the workplace um and then you know today I'm, I'm in my 20s and the what women today expect out of the work you know, out of interactions in the workforce is is very different than it was even a generation or two ago so I Rachel, have to respectfully disagree. <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't accept it. I don't think it's a good rule. I think it inevitably has the effect of hurting women. And I think that it's the wrong approach. I think the correct approach is that we're not animals. We make decisions, whether it's behind closed doors, in private, wherever, and and I think that we should make decisions and conduct ourselves in ways that you can <laughs> that that sh- that wouldn't get you in trouble. And if you do that, in general, you know, yes, with some exceptions, I can't say that there won't be lies made up or somebody that's out there to get you. But for the most part, that's going to be fine. All right. So that's where we are on, on that. And it's by no means, you know, for our community of listeners out there, it's by no means a closed subject. It's not going to be a closed subject. This is going to be a subject that I'm sure we'll touch on again. But but that's where we are on the Pence rule. And we're going to spend the rest of the show just kind of talking about a couple of things with Me Too, because that's where this conversation leads to. And we had a really good conversation off the air after our first show about how Me Too has affected us personally. And we all, I want to ask this question again and bring it in again, because Me Too has affected our listeners personally, either because they've been in a situation or because it's out there and and now things are different. So I want to ask that question again and throw it out first to Liz. How has the Me Too movement affected you personally? 
the biggest way it has affected uh, me personally is seeing how many women, including women I you know, encounter on a daily basis, whether they be friends or, or colleagues or you know, people I, I've just been Facebook friends with since freshman year of college, uh, of how many people have these stories, how many people have been affected in very tangible ways that resonate throughout their lives by sexual harassment, sexual assault. Another, another thing I've seen is just how, gosh, how riddled with sin and evil a lot of corners of the entertainment industry tend to be. I think Harvey Weinstein is probably the, you know, the easiest one to point at, but the more that it's dug into, the more you hear these stories of, of women and children and young men even who are who were abused by people in power over them. And it's just not something you think about when you go to the movies on a Friday night. But yeah, it's everywhere. And it's in some ways it is is obvious and, and big with stories of assault. In some ways it's more insidious of um, of women who have had doors closed to them because of rumors that were circulated about them, that kind of thing. So it's it's affected me most in seeing how prevalent it really is. And that's, I mean, that's where the name Me Too comes from, because almost every woman can raise her hand and say, yeah, something like that happened to me too. Um, so I guess how this affected me personally, you know, in, in 2012, I started writing a book. And it's what I did for two years. My youngest was in a Mother's Day Out type program. So three days a week for several hours. And at times on weekends and late at night, I hammered away at a memoir. It was like I had all these personal stories in my head, really, I think were just bothering me that I just had to get out of me so I could move on and think about something else. And when I was done, um, it was clear that the, the book that I wrote was just for me. I didn't want to publish it. But when everything started happening with me too, I had a moment where it dawned on me, my goodness, this is what I have been puzzling over for such a long time, um, or at least it fits within the overall theme. And so, you know, just as an aside to all that, I, I, w- I would want to tell everybody that writing a book was the most healing thing I've ever done. And again, I don't plan to publish it. It's really just for me. But it helped me process, make sense and move on. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking of me too, as, as the, um, the, the global range of experiences. So not just work harassment or what have you. But you know, for me, it was things like trying to process how it made me feel to be a very naive and innocent sixth grader and go over to somebody's house and have a spend the night party and then say, hey, wake up, let's watch these, these porn movies. And that being my first exposure to something that I found to be horribly disturbing and upsetting and feeling terrible and ashamed and going home and never telling anybody about that. And then those images being stuck in your head for years or trying to process being, you know, four years old and an older boy wants to play doctor and, you know, just your skin crawling and and not being able to process and how that can affect you. Things that probably everybody has experienced, but depending on your personality, depending on your temperament, those things can affect you at a deep, deep level. And I know that I dealt with shame over those two instances when, as I speak them out loud now, after having written about it and thought about it, it's, we all understand that. We've probably all been through that. But my, my takeaway from the Me Too movement is a lot of times shame and sorrow functions because we don't talk with each other and we don't share. And when you're mm. a child, you don't you just don't have that perspective that 
other people have been through these things. You can't process. And so I think sometimes we carry those things with us. We get older and we we realize that um, we, we just haven't necessarily process the things that have happened in our lives. So those were just two of the many, many personal stories that I I wrote out in my book. Um, So anyway, also, I just say the Me Too movement affected me personally by giving me global context to realize that um, I was not alone as a woman trying to process human Mm -hmm. relationships, sexuality, my ideals for marriage and relationships. And really, here's one that's important to me, the huge difference in men and women that all the feminist literature has been swearing forever doesn't exist. That's kind of a big takeaway from the Me Too movement. It's like, hello, you honestly think there are no differences between men and women? Look at the vast difference between how men and women view these experiences. I think it's the great idiocy of our culture to say that we're all the same. Oh, you guys are so smart. And I feel, you know, I hate to say this because I almost don't want to say it out loud, but the the numbers and the amounts and the I think in the first show I read off a litany of of men and various um, and it is mostly men you know I'm sure there are obviously there are quid pro quo sexual harassment situations and assaults and things that happen that are men on men or or women on men there was a movie about that with Demi Moore as the as the protagonist I don't remember the name of that movie does anybody remember the name of that movie where she she harassed Michael Douglas <laughs> and I forget the name of that movie but watch it um it I it's had a numbing effect on me I feel I didn't know this was such a huge pro- I know this is crazy but it is a huge giant enormous thing and there are real situations and there are situations that are made up and that's a problem too. There are there's now this uncomfort discomfort with men and how it's affected me is that I feel it feels heavy. It feels heavy. And it feels like like I just want to scream and pull my hair out because all I want to do is go in and do my job, which requires me to have these closed door conversations. And and I will say in my I have not I mean, I've had somebody put their hand on my knee. I've had somebody, I've had somebody say some things that I could tell where it was going, but I have always been able to handle it, nip it, you know, and to my knowledge, there hasn't been any repercussions for that. This feels very heavy to me and a part of the workplace, and this is how it's affected me, a part of the workplace that I'm like, ah, I have enough to deal with, with corporate America and just the politics of the boardroom and, you know, getting ahead and making a living and, you know, all the pressures of things to, okay, now, now this is a thing. So I, it has felt very heavy and, and made me feel like, like so sorry for so many women who have dealt with no kidding situations where they just shouldn't have to deal with it. I think a thing that I realized is that I've been in those same situations you were just talking about, Mary Scott, where somebody, you know, put their hand on my leg or you put their hand in the small of my back or said something, you know, made a joke or a comment that I found objectionable, but I didn't process it in the time necessarily as a harassment or assault or anything like that. But there are people, there are women in particular who have those same situations and it affects them very, very deeply. And it, they, like what you were saying, Rachel, of how they didn't necessarily process it in the same way I process it, or they didn't know, they didn't have the tools or 
I, I don't want to condemn any woman who experiences those situations and comes through it feeling assaulted. But it made me realize that something that I might see as a thing that can be easily snipped in the bud is not that way to another woman. It is something that deeply impacts them. You know, I read in a Harvard Business Review article that I was reading, and I'll post it to our show notes. There was a there was a piece in, of the, of this really. It was an eight part series in the Harvard Business Review uh, on Me Too, and they talked about that. And they and I thought it was an interesting point that that just because you know a situation where you are harassed and able to nip it in the bud, or approached maybe and able to nip it in the bud, just because that situation in the realm of bad things that could happen to you is not nearly as bad as a assault. It's still your story and it still matters and it's still, mm-hmm. it's still part of the whole thing. And it, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be discounted just because it's not as bad as an assault. I do think one of the problems and I'll, I'll just say challenges. I think we all, if I were to counsel a young woman, this is probably what I would say. And I would say it to myself is you know, I think sometimes we think that these experiences should be taken. I think we would all agree there's a scale that ten, a 10 is Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein. And then we've got mm-hmm. just your goofy guy at the office, maybe who's a one who harmless as can possibly be, speaks before he thinks and says something stupid. So I do think and I've had this happen to me where some of the things that are edging more toward the six or the seven experiences that I've had, for whatever reason, maybe that didn't bother me nearly as much as like you said, Liz, somebody just giving me a hug that made my skin crawl. But I do believe we can't say, well, just because I felt, I felt that that experience affected me very, very deeply. It was a one or a two or a three on the scale. And it made me feel this way that everybody else should feel that way, that that man should pay for the way that I felt. I do think we have to carefully say, um, you know what? It's not just how I felt. That does matter. There is a story. I need to process that with somebody. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not discounting the way anyone feels. But I don't think that we can take that into the public square and say, this is how I felt about that that one or two experience, everyone needs to feel the same way. I need to go tweet about that guy. I need to go ruin his reputation. He's a horrible person. And that's, that's where I think other women, other counselors, professionals can help us process. Because again, I, th- I mean, I've shared with you two, I had a friend, I have a friend who's a counselor, psychologist, and she says that she's had people come in and describe experiences that to her are absolutely tragic, would be life-wrecking, or maybe they were I just don't even want to think about some of the things folks have been through, but she never labels it. She never verbally says you have been through a trauma because sometimes she is so surprised that that individual does not view what they've been through as a trauma, whereas they view something else that she might not have thought was a big deal at all as a trauma. So I offer that to say there is objectivity that we have to bring to bear. If somebody hugs you and, you know, you, you just feel so icky. It, there is a great possibility that guy had no thought in his mind. It's just how it affected you. I think that you said a second ago, a counselor. You mentioned a counselor. That's one of the things that comes up over and over in this setting. And sharing your story, sharing it with someone, sharing it with a counselor, sharing it in the situation where it's, where it's a really bad situation, sharing it with HR 
sharing it with uh, with the with law enforcement if it's if it's really that bad, sharing it with a plaintiff's attorney if it gets to that level. But sharing it is a really important part. And in that vein, I'm going to go first because I want to model this for our community. I don't want you to feel ashamed. And I had one of these situations. And I, I have to say that I love what you said, Rachel, a second ago, that is it a one or a two or a three? I have never had anything that I would consider more than on the lower end of the scale, lower end of the spectrum. I don't want to present myself as a hero or a whatever, but I I do have a military background. I have my father was a professional athlete. I've spent my life around pilots and you know manly men, and I I I think that there is something to that being able to just kind of deflect and handle it, and 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 that it's that just that learned response of get your hand off me, hmm. you know. You know, I, I, I've had to be tough in, in the in the professional situations and just the personal situations I've been in. And so that has conditioned me. And I do think that I have that that's helped. But I, I don't want to say that that it's a better thing or it's a like a, everyone should be that way or anything like that. It's just when I was in this situation at a dinner in Montgomery, when I was still elected official and it was obvious to me what he wanted, I was able to say mm, no. And I didn't make a big deal about it. I just mm, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that. And it and it was over. Um if I had gone a little further and let him do what he wanted to do, would it have helped my career? Probably. But I don't think it hurt my career either. So that's the story. And that's all I want to say on a public pod, on a public podcast. But I do want to. I just yeah. I just want to model that. That is super, That was super hard for me to say. Mm, <laughs> I totally I understand. And that's all I feel like I can say. And if you could see me, my hands are shaking right now. Yeah. Not not because. Yeah. I mean I mean the guy it was pretty lame, and I was able to handle it. But talking about it is flipping hard. It is. Yeah. It is yeah. so hard. And I think part of that, and I'll just, you had asked us if we ha- have ever faced a Me Too situation and do we want to share it? And, um, you know, I also, Mary Scott, I've never been assaulted or raped. And I thank God. And I feel such sorrow for women who have. I mean, I can't even fathom. I think that's every every woman's worst nightmare. But I have, I've had experiences that would be considered on the Me, tre- me Too spectrum. I, you know, I guess we would call it. I have never posted anything Me Too on social media or shared with anyone besides private conversations with Pepper and my closest friends. I've talked to y'all as, as part of, of this overall cultural moment. So, you know, I, I too, I really thought about this episode and whether sharing anything would be edifying. Um, And I decided also that I'll share one really in the hopes that if there's anyone judging themselves harshly or feeling ashamed, or they too would like to say something and their hands are shaking as my voice will probably start shaking or they're feeling alone, that this will just be one more voice saying that, you know, I understand when, (laughs) when I was in call, I mean, look, I'm already laughing about it's not even funny, but it just, you know, I think sometimes the way we share things, you can't control how it comes out. But When I was in college in South Florida, I worked in the modeling and TV and film industry. So I had an agent and I did runway shows and commercials and modeling. Um, It was a great source of income as a college student and it really was great fun. But it's also one of those industries where, you know, this, I think this type of thing, as Liz said, is more concentrated. Um, And this was, you know, 15 years ago. And I'm, I'm not sure anyone batted an eye at this type of behavior, actually. So I'd say overall, I was spared anything happening to me that I would call 
really horrible, but there was one circumstance that definitely upset me. Um, I was in a photo shoot um, and I arrived at at the location, which was a studio in South Beach. I can still see it clearly in my mind. And at first it was just me and the photographer who was also styling the shoot. He was picking out the outfits. And he very nonchalantly and with authority and matter of factly told me to take off my shirt and bra so he could pick the right clothes. And here I was 19, trying to learn how to work in this business as I went, wanting to be professional and not let on that I felt like a total amateur. So I just went right ahead and did what he told me. And so I'm just standing there looking at letting him look at me basically. And then the makeup artist arrives. And when she walked in, the horrified look on her face and the gleeful smirk on the photographer's face told me everything that I had been tricked, you know, and to make matters worse, the makeup artist had no idea what was going on for all she knew. Maybe I was instigating that or doing that on purpose or something. Um, And I, I didn't say anything to him or her. We went on to do the photo shoot and then believe it or not, After the shoot, she left and he asked me, he had the gall to ask me if I would give him a back massage. And this is how people pleasing, demurring and naive I really was. I gave that jerk a back massage. (laughs) And in case anyone at all is wondering, this was a very unattractive, overweight, older guy. I mean, just picture Harvey Weinstein. He was gross. And once I left, it just swept over me. What a pushover I had been. And I blamed myself for the whole thing. And I never brought it up to anyone. And honestly, honestly, kind of like what you're saying, Mary Scott, I just moved on, you know, but as women have shared their, yeah, as women have shared their stories and And I'm sorry, I laughed a second ago. I wasn't laughing at the, I was like, it was, it's like a, it's a disbelief. It's a, just a, (laughs) but you know, that somebody would have the gall, right? Not a disbelief in what your reaction, but somebody, but they would do that to a 19 year old girl. Yeah, you know, and I definitely have had other little things, but I won't go into all of them. I'll just say that that was the one that I really internalized as like, how could you be so stupid, Rachel? How could you, you know, so anyway, when when I have seen people share their stories and some jaded people sort of smirk and say, sure, she didn't understand what was happening or, or judged her like, well, why would someone do anything they didn't want to do? <laughs> I have felt empathy and understanding and thought, you know what, women of a certain personality of which I share, I've had to work on courage and standing up for myself all my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get it. I understand. You can definitely mm-hmm. fall into doing something that you absolutely don't want to do. Gosh, Rachel, just hearing that story, it's just, God, it makes my heart hurt for you and just for anybody who's ever been in a situation like that or, you know, even, even farther, um, going farther than that. But I, I think my Me Too story is more about the many, many near misses that have occurred in my life of situations that I've found myself in where if I'd had one more drink or if somebody else had left the party a little bit earlier, or if you know I didn't get a phone call at the right time of how bad of a situation I would have been in. And, and I consider myself to, to be very lucky in that, in that, in that regard of somebody has been watching out for me the whole time, whether that is God or a friend or, um, you know, a stranger that, there's so many near misses that I look back at and say, I could be one of those horrible stories, but by the grace of God, I'm not. Now, that being said, the ones that I can point to that are more insidious are the jokes that have made me uncomfortable. Or like you were talking about, like the, Mary Scott was talking about the 
the hugs that made me feel a little bit squirmy that I just was not comfortable with. And learning to, and I am not a compliant personality, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) I love that about you. We are very different. For we, are, we, are, we, are, we are all three of us. I am, I am the de- very definition of not compliant. Um, <laughs> Goodbye. But, but it's what's interesting is we've all found ourselves in those situations, even though yeah, yeah. we have very, I mean, anybody can. Definitely. And, and what I've learned and what I've observed is that so much of this goes beyond sex. It's more about power. And there's a saying, I, I think it's a feminist saying, and I can't remember where it comes from, but um, maybe it's from advertising, actually, that. Uh, everything is about sex except for sex sex is about power hmm. and i yeah you know, i think that's outside of marriage is probably a lot more true than it is inside of marriage but uh of a lot of these situations i think are men in power trying to assert their power or people or you know in the, in the smaller amount of cases that it is women in power somebody are trying to assert their power over somebody that they see as vulnerable. Well, y'all, I feel really proud of us. It's a hard thing, no matter if it's a on the scale of, of an 8 or a 9 or a 10 or a 1 or a 2. It is a dang hard thing to tell your story, but it's part of the healing. It's part of what you it's part of what you can do to not have that control and that power over you. I agree. And I I loved I guess I'll seg. I don't know if you were going to seg to this, but I love how you you put this question, how do we deal with me too individually and together? And I would just offer kind of on a upturn, maybe a, maybe this is just an optimistic view, but I still hold and I still believe that most men, most people are doing exactly what you said, Mary Scott. They're wanting to go to work and they're wanting to do their best and they're wanting to treat others with dignity and respect and have great relationships and just go about their life in a, in a good, honorable way. I you're really right, right. believe that. And so I, I do too. I really I think that we can't get caught in a, in what I'm going to call others have called, this is not my original term, but a moral panic where because this evil, this sinister side exists in the world, now we see it everywhere. And so I would just encourage everybody to continue holding your head high, being dignified, believing the best in everybody, but having an ear always, always open for someone who looks like something's not quite right, who might be facing something, and you just can tell that maybe she's having a hard time. Just being open, being willing to listen, especially if it's a child, you know, especially if it's someone who's vulnerable and, um, and might not have the, resor- the internal resources to come forward on their own. You know, I, I am. I haven't heard the term moral panic, but I do think if you see this as a giant conflict between men and women, it's, it can feel like a giant panic when it's characterized as a huge conflict between men and women. But really, that's not what it is. It's a small and shrinking group of mostly predatory men, but predatory people who are interfering with someone's ability to show up and do what they signed up to do, which is go to work and work. Um, But the majority of my types of, like I described as near misses, haven't been necessarily in the workplace, which is honestly the the redeeming part I see about the Pence rule to bring it kind of full circle is most of the time when I found myself in a situation that where I felt compromised, alcohol was involved. Mm. So I do get that part of it. I, you know, there are things and situations and intoxicants that can turn people into what they normally aren't. 
Well, y'all, I think we're about done with this subject for now. Not done forever, certainly not done, you know, in the global sense, but I think we can close the show. But I do want to say, this is the lawyer in me, I think it's important to say what sexual harassment really is in the the black letter line and verse. Sexual harassment is a form of sex discrimination which violates Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. And we have something in our country called the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC. They define sexual harassment as unwelcome sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, and other verbal or physical conduct of a sexual nature, which, uh, when such conduct explicitly or implicitly affects an individual's employment, unreasonably interferes with an individual's work performance, or creates an intimidating, hostile, or offensive work environment. So I wanted to say that because I think it's really important to understand what the how the law recognizes it and the law is pretty broad this is a show not to give you legal advice or to give you you know this is a show to encourage you to have have friendships uh and and have and find support relationships because that's really what we want for our listeners and i don't think there's an issue that pushes us more that helps us really define the need for friendship uh, and the healing that comes with friendship more than me too. And I, can I just add to that, Mary Scott, real quick, that um, you all are, we consider you our friends. And if anything that we happen to say today um, hurt you in any way, just by us, you know, I don't know, maybe encouraging folks to be strong or in whatever way we may have spoken about this, please know our hearts that we would never want to hurt anybody and o- only only hope to encourage you. And that's that's where our hearts are. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's important. Thank you, Rachel. Our community of of women that listen to this show, and and men, there's probably some men out there, but our community of people that that are out there that are listening, we care about you. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you again for tuning in this week to the Bell Curve podcast. We are so thankful for you and so thankful for, um, you know, your willingness to, to wrestle with some of these hard topics with us. Again, if you want to join the conversation, please reach out to us either through our website at uh, bellcurvepodcast.com or on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. That's the other one at bellcurvepod. And if you're finding us on iTunes or, or however you find your podcast, please leave us a review and give us a rating. It really helps us be able to reach more people. So have a good, good day and hope to see you next week. 